listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 18, 1 through 8, on page 853 and on the screen. The parable of the widow and the unjust judge. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for the people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Good morning, everyone. Let's hear it again for the choir and the bell choir. That was awesome. <clears throat> now, I got to warn you all, uh, my mom is in town this weekend. In fact, she's here visiting with us today. Um, and I was up late last night talking to her when I should have been making slides for this sermon. So this slide is all you're getting, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> which is to say that you're going to need your Bibles. Um, so if you haven't already, uh, please do open up to Luke 18. Uh, We'll be sticking right here for the most part, not too much jumping around. We'll go back to uh, Luke 17 a bit, but for the most part, if you're at Luke 18, you're good. We're in the midst of a teaching series, working our way through the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. If you're a regular here, you've heard me say this like 12 times, um, but the parables are these metaphorical stories Jesus tells in the Gospels that disclose deeper truths about God and God's kingdom, what it looks like to follow God in the world. When we think about like God's kingdom, if we think about how we would talk about it today, I would probably use the phrase God's reality. God's kingdom is essentially what the world would look like if God was in charge, if everybody followed God as their king. And when Jesus tells these parables, he often introduces them by saying, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a man who threw a party. Uh, The kingdom of God is like a man who had two sons. The kingdom of God is like a man who lost his sheep. That's kind of a continual theme we see with the parables. But that's not how our parable for today starts out. In fact, on the surface, the parable of the persistent widow doesn't seem to say much of anything at all about the kingdom of God. If you read this story on like purely a surface level, it seems to be a straightforward teaching about prayer. Luke, the narrator, he even like opens it up in verse 1 by writing that Jesus told his disciples a parable about their need to pray always. 
And if we read this story as a simple teaching about prayer, then the takeaway is pretty straightforward. It's a story about a widow who's denied justice by an evil judge. A judge who has no respect for God or for human beings. The judge even says that much himself in verse 4. Although I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, which is kind of ridiculous, right? Like, who talks like that? Who would, who would actually say that about themselves? There's definitely some comedy in this story if you read between the lines. It's a little ridiculous at points. Anyway, this evil judge refuses to give justice to this widow, but this widow is persistent. She badgers the judge, refusing to let up until he finally relents and gives her justice. In verse 5, this is the judge talking, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Now, the actual Greek here is not that nice. Our English Bibles clean this passage up a lot. Um, The judge actually says, I will grant her justice so that she does not blacken my eye by continually coming. And when she says blacken my eye, that's blacken my eye as in like, blacken my eye, like literally. This widow pressures the judge until he's afraid that she's going to hit him, basically. Which, again, comedy. I think this is funny. If you imagine, like, a judge, a grown man, who, like, by his own definition is not afraid of anyone, not even God, and yet now he's afraid of getting decked by this elderly widow, it's kind of a hilarious story. Like, this would have gotten chuckles out of Jesus' original audience. And then, like any good comedian, Jesus brings the point home at the end. Verse 7. And won't God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So again, surface level takeaway is pretty simple. If an unjust judge will give justice to a widow who threatens to punch him, How much more then will God, who is good and just and who loves us as his children, give us what we ask for if we pray with persistence? If we just have enough faith. And that's where the surface level reading of this story becomes really unhelpful. Because if you've lived for a bit, if you've experienced much of the world, and if you've followed God for any chunk of your life, you've probably figured out that that's not quite how prayer works. Sometimes we pray for something and we get it. Like the prayer works. God shows up. Other times we pray and we pray and we pray. We plead with God. We beg. We pray with persistence and with faith, and we still don't get what we're after. Can anyone relate to this? Yeah, I won't make you share. It's okay. We ask for healing, maybe for ourselves, maybe for a loved one. We pray for good news, a new job, a new opportunity, good news from a doctor, only to be disappointed. We pray for God to protect our loved ones, our spouses, our parents, our children, only to watch them suffer. We pray for an end to war violence and injustice. We ask God for a miracle only to be let down. 
Sometimes a parable like this can actually become a weapon. It can become like a stumbling block to your faith. A well-meaning friend tells us, well, God must have wanted it this way. Just keep persisting and trust God. Or a less well-meaning friend who might actually ask us, well, did you pray about it? Did you have faith? Because after all, if an unjust judge will give justice to a widow who refuses to let up, then surely God will come through for us if we just have enough faith. Now, I don't actually think that's what this parable is saying. I actually think that's a really bad reading of this story. And I think that the reason, the culprit for this bad reading, the reason so many people read this story this way, has to do with chapter numbers. Who saw me going there? Chapter numbers, like the the giant 18 in your Bible, I think is part of the reason that this story gets misread. Stay with me. I promise it'll make sense in a minute. When the Bible was written, when like all these books were first jotted down, there were no chapter and verse numbers. Luke didn't put chapters and verses in his gospel when he wrote it. That was all added later. Early manuscripts of the Bible, they didn't even have punctuation or spaces between the words. Paper and ink was way too expensive. The scribes had to jam as much text as they could onto a page. They certainly weren't wasting space with commas and spaces and chapter numbers. The chapter numbers and the verse numbers that you have in the Bible today, those actually come centuries later, like around the the 13th century, the early 1200s. That's when the chapter numbers we have today really came into effect. And the verse numbers were closer to the time of the printing press. And I should say, too, it's a really good thing we have chapter and verse numbers. Like, thank goodness for chapter numbers. It was a really good idea to add them because it lets us all open up to the same passage of the Bible really easily. If I say open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, within a minute or so, we're all there, right? Like, you might have to go to the table of contents, find a page number, but those chapter and verse numbers come in pretty handy. If we didn't have those, it would be more like, open your Bibles to Luke, the story of the persistent widow. It's about three quarters of the way through. If you hit the resurrection, you've gone too far. (laughs) Not quite as helpful, right? (laughs) Yeah, after 20 minutes, we we might all be there, maybe. So thank goodness for chapter numbers. Here's the thing, though. Adding chapter numbers to the Bible was an editorial decision. Someone decided where to insert these breaks in the text that weren't there originally. Sometimes those breaks make a lot of sense, and they actually help break the flow of the narrative into nice, like, palatable chunks. And other times, the chapter divisions are completely arbitrary and can even cut off a story from the context that helps explain it. That's what happened to the parable of the persistent widow. That's why it's so important whenever you read the Bible to actually go back a page or two and look at the context. That can make a big difference. You might find something in chapter 17 that completely changes your understanding of chapter 18. And on that note, I want you all to look over to Luke 17, beginning in verse 20. This is where I think the actual kind of narrative starting point of this story really lies. Verse 20 of Luke 17. 
Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, the kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God. God's reality. That thing Jesus is always going on and on about and telling all these parables about gets a shout out in chapter 17. Pharisees ask, when is the kingdom of God coming? When is it going to get here? When's the Messiah going to show up? When will God's kingdom finally be established on earth as it is in heaven? When is God going to arrive and give us justice? There's a lot behind that question. At this point in history, Jesus' people, the Jewish people, have been living under some form of oppression for about 600 years, give or take. First, it was the Assyrian Empire. They were always threatening, always pushing in with their armies, threatening to invade. Then it was the Babylonians who actually did invade. They destroyed everything. They destroyed the temple. They killed most of the people, carried the survivors off as refugees very far away. Might be why the Bible has a thing or two to say about caring for refugees. Then the Persians rose up. They they crushed the Babylonians. They sent Jesus' people back to their homeland. But then the Persians were always kind of threatening, hovering, threatening to swoop in and invade as well. In between the Old and New Testament, it was the Greeks. And by the time of Jesus, it was the Roman Empire that occupied the land. 600 years of waiting. 600 years of being occupied, being dominated, and crying out for rescue. 600 years of prayers that went unanswered. So when the Pharisees asked Jesus when God's kingdom is going to get here, he tells them that God's kingdom isn't coming with signs that can be observed. Because God's kingdom is already here. You want to live under the reign of God? Do it. You want justice? Do justice. You want mercy? Live mercifully. You want holiness and freedom? You want God to be king? Then start following God as your king. Don't pledge allegiance to the kingdoms of this world and their leaders and all of that. Pledge your allegiance to God and God's kingdom. Start playing by God's rules. Then for the rest of chapter 17, Jesus spells out for his disciples what life would actually look like if you did this. It's quite interesting. The Son of Man is going to come, but he's not going to come and conquer. He's going to die. The road won't be easy. There's going to be violence and suffering. There's going to be setbacks. When God's people actually manifest God's kingdom, when we start following God as king instead of the rulers of this world, then the powers that be are really going to crack down. And then from that warning, Jesus tells a parable about persistence. A story about this widow who stands up to a corrupt politician. A judge who neither fears God nor respects other people. 
Now, I can't think of any leaders like that today. This powerless widow takes a stand. She refuses to back down. She has no rights. She's lower than dirt in this culture, essentially. She's got zero rights or power. And yet somehow, against all odds, against all social norms, against all expectations, she persists and demands justice. She keeps pushing pressuring this judge to do the right thing. She fights and she fights and she fights until she wins. See, this story does challenge our understanding of prayer, but probably not in the way you might expect. God is not an unjust judge that we have to badger to get what we want. That's not how prayer works. Oftentimes, I think we have an understanding of prayer that kind of assumes the worst about God. Because it assumes that God is distant. It assumes that, like, God is somewhere else. The world is over here, but God's far away. God's distracted, doing something else. And prayer is how we get God to show up and pay attention to us for a couple minutes. The way we typically think about prayer assumes that God is absent, and so we have to pray in order for God to intervene, in order for God to get involved, as if God's not involved already. If we look at Jesus as our clearest picture of God, then God looks a lot more like the persistent widow than the unjust judge. Like a widow in the ancient world, Jesus was powerless, homeless, stripped of all glory and honor, abandoned by his friends and family, denied justice by a corrupt legal system, beaten, broken, and killed. <clears throat> Yet at every step of the way, he persisted, even over death itself. In Christ, God becomes the persistent widow fighting and raging against the powers of this world, spiritual powers, demonic powers, worldly powers, corrupt bureaucrats, broken systems that deny justice to the least of these. God is already in the fight. Prayer is how we join in. Prayer is like the secret weapon in our arsenal that keeps us connected to God when things get tough, as Jesus warned they would. Think of the places in your life where you're fighting for justice, fighting for change in some ways. The, the areas where you long for God to show up, quote-unquote, for God's kingdom to be manifest on earth as it is in heaven. It might be something big, like really big, like refugees or poverty. Maybe you've had a friend or a family member succumb to the opioid epidemic, and so you're working to make a change against this behemoth of a monster. Maybe it's much more local and personal than that. Maybe there's an area of your life or the life of someone you love that's spiraling out of control, and you're fighting to bring about a change. Whatever it is, whatever struggle you're engaged in, this story tells us that God is already in the fight. 
God is suffering alongside you, fighting with you. You don't have to beg and plead with God to get involved. He already is. The point is he's not like the unjust judge. The kingdom of God is among you. God's kingdom is within you. And the purpose of prayer is to keep ourselves connected to God so that we can persist when it gets difficult. At various points in Jesus' ministry, we're told that he goes off by himself to pray. He finds a quiet place away from the disciples, away from the crowds, to center himself on God, to talk to his Father, to return to the source. And it's that kind of prayer that becomes a lifeline for Jesus' ministry. When was the last time you returned to the source? When was the last time that prayer looked less like a list of requests and more like just plugging in to that energy from God? When your prayer consisted of, God, I have no words left to say and I don't even know what to ask, but I just need your presence right now. After Jesus gives the moral of the story in verse 7, He concludes in verse 8 with this. God will quickly grant justice to his people, to his chosen ones. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The people are longing for God to show up, for God to become king, for the Messiah, the Son of Man, to arrive and deliver the people, just as we long today for the fight to be over for Christ to return, for the powers of this world to be definitively beaten, for all things to be made right. And Jesus takes this expectation, he takes our expectation, this hope, and he flips it on his audience. He flips it on us. Christ is coming again. The battle will come to an end. But what will the Son of Man find when he gets here? Will he find God's people sitting around, checked out, waiting for God to come and rescue? Or will he find us persisting, already engaged with God in the fight? Let's pray. God of persistence, empower us to be like the widow in this story, standing up to the powers of this world, the powers of darkness, spiritual powers, evil forces that seek to undermine and destroy your good creation, Lord. Give us persistence to stand for truth in a world of lies. For light in a world of darkness, love in a world of hate, and hope in a world of despair. Give us your grace, Lord. Give us your power to persist. 
And God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.